Amen. Yeah, you can give that a hand. Thank you, Lord. Uh, Today's scripture reading is going to come from the Gospel of Matthew. I invite you to turn over there to Matthew chapter 19. And this is, again, if you're following along in our Bible reading plan for this year, you will have read this passage the past week. And we're going to pick up in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 19. It begins like this. Some Pharisees came to him, him being Jesus, to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. And as you are seated, we do have kingdom kids today. And so this is a ministry for kiddos who are four years old through second grade and full of energy. As you can see from that dead sprint to the door. <laughs> And of course, parents, if you've never had your kids participate in Kingdom Kids, you can walk over with them, get them registered, and then they can be picked up after service today in our Christian Life Center, which is the metal building right next door. They'll be upstairs. (laughs) The calm after the storm. Let's just take that in. Well, as I mentioned, our church family is going through an annual Bible reading plan together. If you're not uh, on that plan yet, I encourage you to do that. You can pick up a book. looks like this. I think we've got a couple in the four-year one on the table back here. We do have books for kiddos. You can take that and check it out. There's some description at the front of the book that kind of explains how to make best use of those plans. And then something out of the previous uh, week's reading is something that I'll be preaching from on Sundays Typically, that is most most of most of the time. And there were so many good things to choose from this week. You may wonder, why did I choose this? Well, I'll tell you, one of the things that is a part of finding the text from which I'll preach is lots of prayer, asking God to direct uh, my my thoughts and my path as I as I find that passage that I feel he would have me to preach from. And I kept being drawn back to this teaching of Jesus on marriage and uh for one, I haven't done a lot of sermons on marriage, and so it felt like, you know, this is probably a gap that we should talk about. Sometimes I shy away from that because I know not everybody's married. Uh, you're either not married yet, or maybe you've lost your spouse and you don't intend on being remarried. Um, but the truth is, a lot of you are married, including myself, and so it's good to hear from God's Word and what He has to say about marriage from time to time. So. If I could maybe in a way, maybe apologize a little bit to those of you who are here who are not married. Uh, I do hope that what God's word has to say, you know, encourages you regardless that you're able to take it, store it in your heart for that day that perhaps you will be married. Or you're able to translate what God's word has to say for these circumstances in marriage and translate them for your life as a single person. Because as we know from scripture, singleness is not 
a curse. It's not a bad thing. We were all once single. Sometimes if we kept reading in this passage on divorce and, and marriage, Jesus touches on singleness and he talks about eunuchs. We don't have time to get into all that. But he's basically saying, you know, some people God sets aside for the single life in order to serve him. And there's nothing wrong with that. Paul would reiterate that same idea in his letter to the church in Corinth. So I hope you don't feel ignored or that your status is any less important than a married person's status. I just really feel impressed by the Lord to talk to those who are married or may one day, one day be married and get some direction from him and what he has to say to us on marriage. Because the truth is our world today, especially in our culture, does not have a high view of marriage. And, and sometimes you kind of get the, you get You get it, right? I mean, there's a lot of marriages that end divorce. You know, a lot of people talk about the difficulties of marriage, and it is a challenge. And you can kind of get, you can kind of get, you can kind of get there mentally. Like, yeah, I can see why a lot of people are down on marriage. But one thing Jesus does here that I think is so important is he draws our attention to the intention of God in marriage, which is a very beautiful thing and a very, very powerful relationship, a very important connection. In fact, it should be and is the most important of all human relationships. And so how do we understand God's intention in marriage and how do we live out that intention? And that's what I hope that we will hear from the Lord on today. So let's pause and let's pray and then we'll dig into these scriptures we've read this morning. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, you are so good to us. God, just this morning, we have been so blessed with the musical talent you've placed within our church. And God, we have this chance to be in this place and turn our attention to you. And and God, to be reminded of how great you are. And as we just sang, we can trust you with everything in our lives, including the most important human relationships we have, whether it's marriage or in our single life and other relationships. We can trust you in every aspect. And so as you teach us some things that may be hard to hear or hard to put into practice, pray that you'd soften our hearts, that we would receive your intention for us in marriage. And God, you would help our minds to be thoughtful and and engage and consider how, uh, God, you want us to apply these truths in your word and and God, we wouldn't end there, but you would prepare our heart, our hands and our feet to take what you have to say to us today and live it out in our lives. This is what we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as we've been getting through the gospel accounts of Jesus's life, there's four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're reading them um, harmoniously, meaning we're reading like the story out of Matthew that we read here is also in Mark, and so we read both of those, right? So we're reading it through harmoniously. You probably started to pick up on the idea that as Jesus' ministry advances, so does the enemy, right? There's more people coming up against Jesus now that his ministry is becoming public and uh, it's gaining a following, right? And so more people are aware of Jesus which means the religious elite are aware of Jesus. There's this particular group, the Pharisees, that we just read about. They're very stringent in following the laws of God. And so they, they're very studious and, and, and uh, they, they tried to follow every single little law. They would come up with laws to make sure that they didn't break a law, right? 
And so they, they were so serious about it. And so when they hear someone else is out there teaching stuff that that's not their interpretation of the law, they want to investigate. And so they hear Jesus teaching things that go against how they would teach that portion of Scripture. And they're trying to trip them up. They're trying to show kind of the general public, this guy's not who you think he is. He's not the teacher you think he is. Just because he can do these miracles doesn't mean he's right. And, and so we see through the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, there's more than one occasion where they try to trip him up. They try to throw him a curveball and see, well, how will the teacher or rabbi, how will he answer this question? And if he answers poorly, then we can point out that this guy is not to be followed. He shouldn't, you shouldn't be listening to him. And every time Jesus has this phenomenal answer as if it were from God himself. Because, newsflash, Jesus is God himself. So, it is coming directly from the source, God in the flesh. Jesus is sharing with them the truth. So, it begins with this. Some Pharisees came to test him. Now, what is this particular test all about? This particular test specifically is about divorce and marriage. Now, I will tell you, I preached a sermon pretty thoroughly on this topic It came out of Jesus' teaching earlier in what's called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 through 32. I preached on this a number of years ago, and I'm not going to go headlong deep into the divorce and causes for divorce and all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to go deep into that right now, not today. But if you go listen to that sermon, I do, and you can get, I think, uh, hopefully a biblical understanding of what Jesus teaches there because it's the same thing that he's teaching here, just in a different portion of the scriptures. If you want to go look at that, I'll just mention it so you know where it's at. you got to go to April 22nd, 2018, almost exactly five years ago today. And uh, it's on page 22, okay? So you'll see all these little page numbers on the sermon page of the website. If you go to fbckennedy.org slash sermons, you'll see all these pages. And it'll take you forever to find it. If you just click on page 22, you'll find the sermon for April 22nd, 2018, and then you can listen to it. Okay, but what I want to talk about is something Jesus says a couple times. He says, from the beginning and at the beginning, what was God's intention in marriage to begin with? Now, that's not how they were thinking about it. They were thinking, how do we get out of this when it goes south, right? That was their thinking. And so they had to develop around this some teaching about divorce and remarriage. And this all stems from a passage of scripture in Deuteronomy, which is the Old Testament book. Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. Here, this is in the time of Moses and his leadership. If you know the story of the Exodus and how how Moses led the people out of slavery in Egypt. And they needed a law. They needed laws. They needed commandments. They needed a way to govern themselves. And that's where we get the Ten Commandments from. But the Ten Commandments, if you know this, uh, is not the only commandments in the Bible. There's lots more commandments, right? And so out of these commandments, out of these laws, the uh, Jewish people over time would try to uh, interpret them. Like today, if you have a study Bible, you know, you got the scripture at the top and the study notes at the bottom. Or you have a commentary on a book of the Bible. It's all kind of like it's all study notes, right? It's telling you it's trying to describe and explain what's in the scriptures. And so they would do that for the Old Testament 
as well. In Jesus' day, it was called the Mishnah, and it was a it was a uh, it was just a commentary on Old Testament scripture, and they're trying to unpack and understand, you know, what did this mean? And so there was a couple schools of thought based on Deuteronomy twenty four one, and that's what they're trying to test Jesus on: is who are you with? Now, what is what does the scripture actually say? Let's start there. Deuteronomy twenty four one says, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her. Basically, from there it says, then he can give her a certificate of divorce. Now, that needs interpretation, doesn't it? What is displeasing mean? What is something indecent mean? It's not entirely clear on the surface exactly what that means. So, in Jesus' day, there was basically two schools of thought. I'm going to just kind of read a little bit of this to you. It won't be long, I promise, but it's helpful, and I don't think I can quote it, quote it uh, by memory. So, let me just kind of explain, okay? So, out of a, a really great a commentary uh, called the NIV Application Commentary, it explains this. It says, by Jesus' time, the essence of the sanctity of marriage was being lost among those interpreting and debating the Mosaic Regulation especially the meaning of indecency in Deuteronomy 24.1. Remember that little part, something indecent. You can divorce your wife, give her a certificate if she has done something indecent. So that's, that's where it's circling, is the understanding of indecency, okay? The discussion assumed that divorce was necessary and legal. The more conservative school, and this is the school's name uh, following a, a rabbi, Shammai, Allow divorce only for reasons of unchastity. In other, wor- in other words, uh, adultery or some kind of uh, sexual sin, right? The more liberal school of Hillel stated that the Mosaic stipulation of indecency allowed a man to divorce his wife even if she spilled a dish for him or spoiled a dish for him. And then later, rabbis declared that divorce was required if adultery was in play. So that's the background. That's the test. Jesus, how are you going to answer this very complicated situation? We got people say this, people say this, people say this. Jesus, what do you have to say on this issue? So that's what's happening here. That's that's what's taking place. Now, again, I'm not going to spend time talking about divorce or the biblical cases for divorce. I've done that. You can go listen to that sermon. I was pretty thorough there. What I want to talk about, which is, I think, more central to what Jesus has to say here, is the intention, the purpose for marriage. What does God have to say about that? Because that's what Jesus does. What Jesus does, he says, let's go back to the beginning. He says, this is the first thing he says, verse 4, haven't you read? Now, of course, they had read, right? These are Pharisees. They read it all. They studied it. They memorized large portions of the Old Testament. They knew what it said and what other people said about what it said and what other people said about what they said about what it said. I mean, they knew this. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, uh, if if you're one to write in your Bible or circle or underline, I underline twice, beginning. The Creator made them male and female. Now later... In verse 8, which we did not read, but in verse 8, 
Uh, okay, so he goes through this, and then, and then the response from those around him are, but Moses gave us the opportunity to, uh, to get a divorce, to, to secure a certificate of divorce. And then in verse 8, Jesus responds to their rebuttal and says, Moses permitted you, did not require, but permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. And again, I underlined twice, beginning. What Jesus is getting at here is that God had an intention in marriage and you guys are getting way far away from that. That's what you're doing. You're trying to find a way out of God's good design. Now, let me say, should you get out of marriage at times? Is there a biblical case for it? I'm not getting deep into that. I answer that in that sermon. You can go and listen to it. Of course, there, Jesus himself says, if it's a case of marital unfaithfulness, then yes, it is permitted, but not required. Because remember, some thought that in Jesus' day, and it had to happen. Jesus says it's permitted, but not required. But let's focus our attention on what God has created from the beginning. That's what Jesus does. And so that's what I want to do. That's what I want us to do. What does it look like from the beginning? And it's clear from the beginning, Jesus quotes here uh, from Genesis uh, twice, right? In the beginning, the creator made them male and female. So you got husband and wife. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So you have unity, husband and wife united, Right? And then he goes on to say, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate it. United for how long? For life. Are there exceptions? Yes. We're just not going there right now. Focusing on the original intent. Husband and wife united for life. See what I did there? I made it rhyme to make it easier for you. Because I know you may want to tune me out by now. But husband and wife for life, that is God's original intent. Intention. I want to take that idea and I want us to approach it uh, a little bit in reverse and start with the idea for life. The call of Jesus is for us to hold a very high view of marriage. One that is not looking for a way out, but looks for a way through difficult marital situations. This kind of high view is not carelessly entertaining, leaving one spouse, dreaming of shacking up with someone else. This kind of high view of marriage doesn't have one foot in that relationship and one foot outside of that covenantal relationship. This view, this mentality is committed to that whole till death do us part of the marriage vow, which is again rooted in Old Testament scripture and again here and the teachings of Jesus. But I tell you what you probably you probably don't know this. If you, if you're married, you probably didn't know that marriage is sometimes tough. Or did you know that? Maybe you did know that. Maybe you're already aware of this. Marriage can be challenging. It can come with unexpected difficulties. I've heard it said like this, if your life is a bridge, marriage is a 10-ton truck driving over that bridge. It is 
by necessity, going to impact that relationship. It's going to impact your life. So if your bridge has cracks in it, if some of those rivets are rusted through, if there's problems in the bridge, guess what marriage is going to do? Marriage doesn't create those problems. Marriage reveals those problems. Now, often early on, especially in marriage, what happens is that big truck comes rumbling through. We start to see the cracks and we blame the truck. My spouse, my wife, my husband, if they hadn't have, they shouldn't have, then I wouldn't have, right? And we blame the other person instead of realizing, no, marriage is just such a big and important thing that of course it's going to reveal the inefficiencies in me. Of course it's going to reveal the tendencies in me. Of course it's going to reveal sin in me. How could it not? It's too big and powerful of a relationship not to reveal my weaknesses. Marriage is that important. But here's the challenge is that when we get into those spots and we give up, guess what? The truck's gone. The bridge remains. The cracks are still there. The rivets are still rusted through. And we get another truck. And we drive that truck over the same bridge. And we got the same problems. Right? So this whole for life thing has this silver lining that if we will allow it to turn our attention, not on the person in front of us, but the person in the mirror and say, God, how do you want to refine me through these challenges in my marriage? You and I can become more and more like Jesus. We become less and less like Jesus when we look at those problems and we blame others. And then we get out and we let go of this idea that this is intended to be for life. Are there exceptions? Yes. Jesus talks about it. There's other places in the scriptures to deal with it. I'm not talking about cases of abuse and abandonment and and adultery. I'm not talking about this. I'm just talking about kind of some what is normal but still very difficult marital issues that we all face. Because it's too big and too important of a relationship for it not to impact us. But will we hang in there? Not try to get out of, but ask God to help us get through the marital challenges that we're all going to face. Now, here, here's something that I think is helpful. A little, little tool that you may find helpful. Is that when you're in, in that challenge of marriage, and you're maybe looking for a way out. You may have one foot in, one foot out. What story do you want to tell three to five years from today? What story do you want to tell your kids? What story do you want to tell your friends? It was just too hard. She was a mess. Couldn't take it. I got out. I left. What story do you want to tell? It was hard. I looked in the mirror. I saw the flaws. I asked God for help. I reached out for that help. I found a way. I didn't give up. And here we are today. And it's better than it once was. What story do you want to tell? Because you're going to have one. Three to five years, you're going to have a story about your marriage. And it's very easy to blame your spouse. But God does not call you to an easy life. He calls you to a full life. And a full life, by necessity, looks in that mirror... And invites God in 
to change what needs to be changed in here. That doesn't happen if we don't have a for-life view on marriage. We just leave. And then having left, we take all of our problems with us to the next situation. Now let me say this, because I thought about this, and I thought, well, that's going to make people feel bad, because there's people that are divorced here, of course, and it wasn't for one of these three reasons. And if you know me well, you know I never want anyone to feel bad. I never want anyone to beat themselves up or, or, or you know, look down on themselves. I'm like, you know, no, 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 no. So, so if, you're, if you're hanging in there, but this is making you feel bad, let me say a couple things here, okay? First of all, if you're in Jesus, Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation. Our small group studying Romans 8. Kevin's doing a great job walking us through that amazing chapter right now. You are not condemned. So your marriage dissolved. Maybe you were, you were the key person at fault. Maybe there was no good biblical reason for the dissolvement of that marriage. You are not condemned for that. We are all going to make mistakes. Maybe you have a new marriage. Focus in on that new relationship and how God would have you live within that. But let me also say, there is such a thing as godly conviction. And if God's spirit is going to point out some things in you that need to change, it's because he loves you. He wants to see you change. He wants to see you become all that he's created you to be. So lean into the conviction, but reject the condemnation. Lean into the conviction given to us by the spirit to be more like Jesus. And reject the condemnation that says you're worthless. You've blown it. You're never going to get it right. Everybody judges you. Everybody looks down on you. That's condemnation. That is not from God. Conviction is condemnation. is not. So let me just say that. Back to the point. Marriage is for life. That's God's intention. So in the thick of it, when the temptation is to leave, what story do you want to tell three to five years from now? Now, it's for life, but there is a word in front of that for life. Remember, husband and wife. Do you remember the word? Make me proud. Come on. Come on. You can do it. You starts with the you, ends with the knighted. Anybody? Give it a go. Okay, united for life. All right. You tried. I understand. I get it. I said that a long time ago, and I said a bunch of other stuff. I get it. <clears throat> Husband and wife united for life. Now, we talked about the for life part. I want to talk about the united part. What we're, not, what we're not talking about is just sticking it out through a bad marriage and just resigning yourself to be miserable for the rest of your days. It's not what we're talking about here, okay? And I understand there's, there's probably more of us in a not ideal marriage than there are of us who are in an ideal marriage. And every marriage is going to go through difficult spells. That is for certain. We're not talking about just gutting it out, giving up all hope, and resigning ourselves to a hopeless, joyless relationship. This idea of being united happens both automatically and with work. In Scripture, in the, New, in the uh, Old Testament, in Genesis, that Jesus is calling to become one flesh... The idea there is for two lives to become one. It is a physical union. The sexual union itself is a big part of that united in flesh. 
But it's always the idea that, that the man will leave his father and mother. Of course, the, the wife does the same. And they become one family. So you have this physical and you have this relational intertwining of all of your life together. It's all coming together. And in a sense, that happens automatically in marriage. But there's another sense in which you have to now maintain that unity that marriage has created between husband and wife. And that maintenance of that unity can be challenging. It can be difficult. What it does require of us is no less than prioritizing our relationship with our spouse above all other things except for God himself. Let me say that again. Maintaining the unity of your marriage requires of us prioritizing that marriage relationship above all other things except for God himself. And this is where often marriages go wrong. Because instead of doing the work of maintaining this unity above all other things, I put all those other things above the unity of our marriage. Often we'll put work above our marriage. Guys are prone to this, but not exclusively fellas. We'll put our children above our marriage. Ladies are especially, moms are especially prone to this, but not just moms, right? Now, we, we will put our hobbies above our marriage. I mean, I, I would like to spend more time with my wife, but I've, I've got this golf game, you know what I mean? And when I'm on my deathbed, I'd really like to say I could consistently shoot under par. So, you know, that's just me. That's just me. Now, you insert your hobby there, right? Whatever it is. It could, be, it could be sins that we really like. Man, I really like that sin. I don't want to let go of that sin. I know it's, not impact, I know it's negatively impacting my marriage, but I really like it. You don't understand. It's like one of my favorite things. So you have all these things that can get prioritized above the marriage relationship. What is that going to do? It is going to disunite. Is that a word? I don't know. Some of you English teachers can tell me later. It's going to pull apart. Is not maintaining the unity of the marriage bond. What maintains that unity is that you put all other things except for God himself in second place and beyond when it comes to your marriage relationship. Husbands, your wife have to come first above work, above the kids, above your hobbies, Above your own desires, which sometimes is in conflict with the unity of your marriage. You have to put all of that second. You've got to put your wife first. And wives, you have to put all, we've got to put all that stuff second. If you, if you ask our kids, who does daddy love the most? Who comes to number one in daddy's life? And I've trained them to say, mommy. Because I want them to know. Not just for our family's sake, but for their family's sake down the road. That they will know that their spouse needs to come first above all other things except for God himself. Now, can you say that about your relationship with your spouse? Or do you see, no, I'm putting some things ahead of them. And it's pulling at our unity. Maybe God wants to help you change that. Uh, Okay, good. I still got a little time. All right. 
Let me say this. Uh, this is a number of years ago, uh, six or seven. Marsh and I were on a date, and um, we're driving to San Antonio. And I'm feeling pretty good because my whole philosophy up to that point in marriage was if Marsh is not mad at me, everything's great. Now, some of you already see the flaw in that reasoning, okay? But that's how I thought at the time. As long as nobody's upset with me, life is great, right? That's called false harmony. And I was a big proponent of false harmony. I just didn't know it. And so I'm thinking, she's not mad at me. We got to be at like a scale of one to 10. We got to be an eight. I mean, at least, at least. And so I'm feeling pretty confident in this. So I ask her what her number is. Now, as you could guess, perhaps by how this is going so far, uh, Marcia's not here, by the way. She's at a children's, uh, she's at a mother-daughter retreat. But I did ask her for permission to tell this story. So just so you know, we're on the level here. Okay. So I asked her and she says five, maybe a six. I'm blown away thinking what in the world. And we began to talk about that. I was like, why are you at a five or a six? I'm at eight. What's, why this gap? What is going on? At first I was mad to be honest with you. He's like, come on, I'm doing awesome. All right. So I should at least be passing, at least be passing. And that's not how she saw it. And it began to reveal some things in our relationship that I had been avoiding because I was all about the false harmony. If you're not mad at me, we're good. That's not enough. That's not enough to have a healthy relationship, right? And so God began to reveal that person in the mirror that avoids conflict, that runs away from problems, that doesn't deal with difficulty very well, and directly connected my behavior to the reason she's at a five. Now, that doesn't mean she's faultless and didn't have her own things to work on, but I can't change any of that. I mean, focusing on that, zero, zero results will come. Zero positive results will come from me focusing on what she needs to work on. I got enough right here, right here. I got enough problems right here to work on. This is going to take all my time for the rest of my life is letting the Lord sort out the rough parts of my life. And God was gracious to me. He began to show me these things. I began to work on these things. And life is so different now for us. Our marriage is so much better than it has ever been. And I didn't know that I would ever be able to tell that story. Because while it was an eight that day, other days it was a three or a four because, you know, there is some rift. And now everything's crumbling and falling apart. And I don't know how to deal with that. I don't know, I don't know how to handle that, that kind of problem. Right? I read this in a book and I thought, Wow. That's true for me. This comes from a great book on marriage called The Meaning of Marriage by a couple, uh, Timothy and, Kelly, and Kathy Keller. Tim, Tim Keller is the pastor. They wrote this book on marriage. It said longitudinal studies, meaning studies over a long period of time, demonstrate that two-thirds, two-thirds of those unhappy marriages out there will become happy Within five years, if people stay married and don't get a divorce. Some of you are thinking about divorce and you feel like it's going to solve problems. It's going to make your life easier. You're taking your problems with you because you are the problem. And God wants to help you focus on you to become more like Jesus for your spouse. 
And some of you have just decided, I'm going to white-knuckle this thing till the end. I'm writing it out, but I expect no joy. expect no happiness from this. Invite God in to change you. To help you become the spouse that God wants you to be. And see what positive impact that is going to have on your relationship. Because I promise you, it will. It will have an impact on this fundamental relationship. And as I've learned, and as you know, if your relationship with your spouse is strong, you can face anything. You can go out in the world and deal with all the difficulties that are coming your way in the workplace, among your extended family. You can handle it. It's not easy, but you can handle it. If your marriage is struggling... And you are choosing to do nothing about it. I can guarantee you, the rest of your world may be awesome. And internally, I'm guessing, I think with some precision, I think it's an educated guess, that marriage is, is rocky and you're doing nothing to improve. Everything else can be great. And you're probably at a four or five on life scale. That's how important marriage is. It's husband and wife united for life. So there's two things I would encourage you with. One, if you got this one foot in, one foot out mentality, just say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with this. I'm not thinking that way. I'm not imagining myself with someone else. I'm not, I don't have the divorce lawyer on speed dial for whenever I need him. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting rid of that whole mentality. Like one of the schools of the Pharisees thought, if she spoils the dish, I'm out. If he snores, I'm out, right? I'm, just, I, I'm not taking anything. I, I'm, I'm just looking for a way out. Just, just get rid of that whole way of thinking. What Jesus says is go back to the beginning. What did God intend? He intended for you to be married to your spouse forever or for, for the rest of your life, right? That's number one. Of course, there's exceptions. Number two, What are you doing to maintain the unity? What are you doing to maintain unity within your relationship with your spouse? How are you investing in your spouse? How are you improving as a spouse? I'm investing in my work. I'm working to improve my parenting skills. Great, good. What are you doing in the marriage relationship, the most fundamental and important human relationship that you have? If you are indeed married, what are you doing there? And if you feel that conviction, not condemnation, but if you feel that conviction as we approach a time of invitation, perhaps you might just ask God, what do you want me to do? What do I need to do? How do I need to strive to love my spouse the way you have loved me? Believe it or not, God intended marriage to reflect how he feels about us. You read the Old Testament last year, right? You saw that. God God approached his people with the language of husband and wife. That's how he saw his relationship with us. That it was meant to be that close, that connected, that united. It was a covenant relationship. And God saw his people be unfaithful over and over again. Now what what did God do with that? He could have just pointed his finger and he would be the only one 
who could point his finger at his spouse and say, this is all your fault. He's the only one that can do that. The rest of us cannot do that. He could have done that. And in some sense, he did. He did let them know where they were wrong. But he didn't stop there. He said, I'm going to remain faithful to you even if you are not faithful to me. I'm going to love you even if you don't love me. And we get the clearest picture of how God will work with us, his sinful spouse, and Jesus Christ himself who gives his life for us. Now you fast forward to the New Testament and what you find in Ephesians chapter 5 is this description. The marriage is meant to paint a picture of the gospel. That God has loved us sacrificially and faithfully. So the instructions, particularly to the husbands, is this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In the end of this section, he says this all this is a profound mystery. And I'm talking about Christ and the church. He's moving back and forth between the idea of, of Christ and the church, bride and bridegroom, Jesus and us, and husband and wife. There's a correlate here. The human marriage relationship is meant to paint a picture of the relationship we are to have with God and Christ. And the instructions are love sacrificially. Love sacrificially. Love beyond a lifetime. That's what the gospel is telling you. God, God wants a relationship with us forever. In terms of marriage, God wants us to have a relationship with our spouse for our lifetime. God is not looking for a way out with us. And he is at work every day maintaining a relationship with us. And that is what we are to do in our marriage. Let's pray. God, I don't know, but you know how many relationships here this morning are struggling. All marriage relationships are going to struggle, and, and you know the ins and outs of that. And God, you can bring hope, and I pray that you would. God, would you bring hope to those who are really wrestling with their marriage? Would you give them direction? Would you help them to see what is their next step? What do they need to do now? How should they respond to these challenges? God, I pray that you would convict, knowing that you will not condemn, so that we might see how you wish to work in our lives. And we would just surrender to you. We would just say, God, you have your way. I want to change however you want me to change. That we might tell a better story years down the road. That we might be proof of the statistic and not the exception that most marriages that hang in there turn things around. That that would be our future. But God, we need your help for that. And I pray that you would help us. And I trust that when we turn to you and ask for that help, you will provide it. We trust that in the name of Jesus. Amen.